the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, so we've got some things to talk about. We'll get to it. What you need to know coming up in just one moment. What you need to know, the Daily Wink. That's W-Y-N-K, what you need to know. Uh, we'll get to it in one moment. Uh, by the way, visit ProAmericareport.com, ProAmericareport.com. Sign up for the daily email that includes the Daily Wink, what you need to know, as well as other great articles and essays and links right there. A uh, couple of great guests today. We'll talk a little pro-life with Hugh Brown, Executive Vice President of the American Life League. And we'll also catch up with Neil Monroe, the great journalist at Breitbart.com, Breitbart News. We'll check in with Neil. He's got a piece up. It'll be interesting. So, But first, the big news, President Biden fulfilled his racist promise, and he announced today that Kajani... Kajan G. Brown Jackson, a judge on the D.C. Court of Appeals already with a distinguished career already. Frankly, she's been on the federal bench for about 10 or 12 years already. She's only 50 years old, 51 years old, maybe. Um, and she is going to be nominated. She is nominated for the U.S. Supreme Court to take the Justice Stephen Breyer spot. Now, let me what you need to know is even though it feels like there's a lot of outside possibilities even though it feels like oh maybe the that uh, you know the uh, Donald Trump was going to uh, appoint or nominate uh, senator Mike Lee and all these kinds of things it doesn't really happen it doesn't happen at all anymore it, frankly in the last 20 years now the only time there's been any sort of outside of the box nominee was when um when George W. Bush nominated Harriet Myers, his longtime lawyer, and she lasted, I think, 24 days. Otherwise, the path to a nomination to the U.S. Supreme Court runs through what I would describe and what you need to know is a, a system now that creates people who say little on the record about what they care about and only speak through pronouncements or official positions. And so, for example, um, you have uh, Gorsuch, who was on the <clears throat> Court of Appeals bench before he goes to the Supreme Court. And uh, you had Kavanaugh, who served in, in government ministerial positions in the, in the White House and then moved on and, and was on the bench in the D.C. Circuit. You had uh, 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 Comey Barrett, Amy Coney Barrett. She was a professor. And whenever she was asked about things she wrote as a professor, she said, well, I'm a professor. I write uh, essays. They're not always my, I mean, uh, law reviews. They're not always my opinions. And, and the common, and then she was on the Court of appeals the common denominator is a couple of things in order to make it to the supreme court you've got to pass a hard vote of the senate for a court of appeals or district court but generally a court of appeals and i don't mean hard vote i mean that you're vetted and therefore you you know what you're going to get you know there's real no real surprises one of the things about the kavanaugh hearings that was so bizarre was nobody thought and to this day nobody serious thinks that Kavanaugh had any problems in his past. That was totally trumped up and really was thrown up at the last minute to see if they could get people to panic. It almost worked. But the path, and what you need to know is, we're creating a bureaucratic class 
of people who are destined to serve in these capacities. And I remember there was a speech, I think it was Chief Justice Rehnquist's visit to Russia, actually. Um, maybe it was just to Europe, but he was Chief Justice at the time. And he, he described how America should not have a system where we create a set of people who are educated and trained to be judges and then a different set of people who are trained to be lawyers. And he was describing in other parts of the world, including the Soviet Union, there were certain people that were designated as judges. They created a judicial class that was insulated from even the lawyers and the legal system in a way. We're starting to do that because Kajanji Brown Jackson, Harvard undergrad, Harvard Law School. Okay, everybody at that level, you got to be Harvard and Yale and a few other places. That's it. And then once you're in there, then you clerk. She clerked for two different court of appeals judges and then Justice Stephen Breyer. And one more detail right now. If you don't think that Justice Stephen Breyer retired with some sense when he went to see Joe Biden that he would get a replacement that was one of his clerks, you're crazy. Just like that's what happened with Kennedy when Kennedy got one of his clerks, Gorsuch, to take his place. Uh, Among federal judges, and I clerked for a federal court of appeals judge, Uh, Among federal court of appeals judges and federal judges in general, but especially U.S. Supreme Court judges, there's a sense that your clerks are kind of your, um, for lack of of a better uh, analogy, you know how you'll you'll describe that um, Bill Belichick has a coaching tree? You know, assistants that work for him that went on to coach in the as a head coach or whatever. And if you look at Belichick, you can look at a coaching tree. And he's got these 27 different uh, um, uh, coaches who went on to other positions. That's how judges and justices think about their clerks. Because if you're a, if you're a Supreme Court clerk and you're on the bench for 25 years, you probably have less than 100 clerks. I mean, you know, you have a small universe of people and, and these people you work with every day and you care about and you become very close to uh, kind of just by naturally, naturally, but also it's kind of a, a, a monastic lifestyle. Appellate work is very uh, uh, methodical and quiet and, you know, there's a lot of time in chambers and a lot of drafting and writing. And so you get this sense uh, among a, 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 when you're in a, a chambers working for a judge, it's a very close knit community. So Kajanji Brown Jackson, who has now been named African-American woman, Harvard undergrad, Harvard Law, two different clerkships before the U.S. Supreme Court, and then she worked for a little while, did something or other, but then she went into the district court, the, the trial court, federal trial court, and then court of appeals. And so what she has, and she's been voted on twice, two other times before now, by the U.S. Senate, when she was confirmed for the district court as well as the court of appeals, and so you have a system that is creating these people that sort of fit the mold, right? That, that fit the mold, that fit into the places. And frankly, it's like Coney Barrett. There wasn't a real way for the left to damage her. They wanted to. They were hoping to. They tried to. But it was very difficult for them because she was utterly qualified under the, the sort of norms that have been put into place to get these people where they are. You know, Elena Kagan, who's on the U.S. Supreme Court, I think she was on the bench just before the Supreme Court, but she was Harvard's law dean. You know, they they stay in this world. Again, the world is kind of insulated, very small, rarefied air. Um, You know, in fact, when um, I think Coney Barrett was nominated, there were clerks for liberal justices who clerked with her when she clerked for Justice Scalia, who said, oh, yeah, she's great. She's really smart. One of the smartest people I know. Because there's sort of honor among this, if you call, community, 
not honor among thieves, that's the wrong word, but honor among this community. And what you need to know is that community is small and it's isolated. And one of the reasons that over time, I believe the Supreme Court has become increasingly out of touch and maybe say it better, the public associates the Supreme Court as out of touch or maybe say it even better, more qualified. When I assess what the Supreme Court is doing, I say to myself, I don't think that they understand that they're disconnected from the people, that their, 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 their role has become something bigger than it was intended, and the impact of what they're doing is far greater than it should be. You think about things like abortion, Roe v. Wade. You think about things like Obergefell and marriage. You think about the definition of gender and sex, which is one of the decisions in the last couple of years. This is crazy. So what you need to know is Kajanji Brown Jackson is in the, in the uh, if, you, if you call it, a, it's, it's in the swamp, in the judicial swamp or the, or the illegal swamp. It's not fair in a way because it's less, it's less uh, obviously swampy, but it's a, it's a universe of people, a bureaucratic class of people who are in charge of becoming judges and managing that part of our system. And... What the left realized when they couldn't pass laws about 45 or 50 years ago, they, could, they realized they couldn't pass laws. They decided, well, wait a second. We should get control of the judiciary. And if we can have judges making decisions, the American people, by our nature, we believe in the rule of law. It's in our operating system, the Constitution. It's in our, it's in our sort of DNA from the beginning. We're, we're law abiders. We're generally people, Americans say, oh, that's the law. I might not like it. I might want to change it. I might appeal it, but that's the law. And what the left has done is gone forward on a whole bunch of issues systematically and made sure to put judges in. So that will, that will, uh, uh, that will not consider the truth, natural law, tradition, but consider what's the most important thing to have. How can we create equity? How can we use legal decisions at the highest level to create equity? We're going to be in charge. We're the, we're kingmakers. We're queenmakers. That's the wrong word. We're kingmakers. We're, we're the people who are in charge of who succeeds and who fails because that's the power to, it's not how it's supposed to be. And I think American people know that. But what you need to know is KBJ, as it says. And I, I look about a year ago, was it a year ago? A year and, a year and some months ago, walking around the streets of Capitol Hill. When, uh, when then judge, district court judge Kajanji Brown Jackson was nominated for the Court of Appeals, there were, bill, uh, there were handbills uh, painted, you know, glued onto the side of, uh, of, of, uh, of uh, streetlights. You know, the base of streetlights has a big wide open part and garbage cans. And they had these things stuck up They're like uh, they were out there, been put out there by activists saying, you know, confirm KBJ. <clears throat> because people knew she is a formidable candidate. For the U.S. Supreme Court, she's very difficult to come up with an argument on why she shouldn't be confirmed. And, and there'll be lots of reasons you and I could say she's very liberal on this. She thinks the Constitution is a living document, all that stuff. But ultimately, she's replacing a liberal. And so the, the, the sort of comeback of the, of, the, of the public is, oh, well, she's replacing a liberal. Why not? And she's an African-American and she's a woman. I mean, the left knows what they're doing. This is not, this is not new to them. And so out of the system... The bureaucratic class who are judges comes someone that it's very difficult to not accept as qualified and ultimately to confirm. So I wouldn't bet against her confirmation. And I, I, I don't think that there is something to find. 
because another part of this bureaucratic class of judges is they live their life for this. They don't give speeches. They don't do podcasts. They don't do radio shows or TV appearances where they say things that they can come back and haunt them. They're very careful. Chief Justice Roberts is a great example. His whole career seemed to be geared towards being a justice and being not even chief justice. And you can see it in his, in his role in, in office now. So that's what you need to know. All right, we're going to take a break. We come back, we will talk with Hugh Brown about pro-life and in this nomination, uh, this nomination of KBJ, and we'll also uh, get, cover a lot more and catch up with Neil Monroe. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We have been talking, and timing is everything in life, we've been talking about pro-life, the pro-life issues, how a lot of people are waiting, waiting on the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court. Sometimes that's a very dangerous thing to do, wait on courts to help you figure things out. Very dangerous. Uh, But uh, it is true that that's going to matter, and we've been talking about that. Well, in the last 24 hours now, we've seen that the uh, uh, President of the United States uh, Joe Biden has nominated a Supreme Court justice, uh, just a judge, uh, uh, Brown Jackson, Kajanji Brown Jackson. Uh, we'll talk about her some more. But before that, Hugh Brown is the executive vice president of the American Life League. And I uh, had him on my schedule to come on and talk because he had a, uh, a piece out um, from the American Life League on what the president's choice means for abortion. So first of all, welcome, Hugh. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, it's good to have you. Um Different question before we get to your what you wrote about and what I received uh, the, your quotes. Um, how how have you found that the the faithful and by that I don't just mean men and women who go to church, but people that believe in the abortion fight because it's a wide range. Some are of different denominations, some are whatever. So, but how do you think the pro life movement is is handling this moment? Uh, do you mean with regards to the moment of this nomination? Yeah. And just in general, maybe Dobbs is coming and we're all sort of standing around looking at each other. I, I, I don't know. Just okay. uh, it, it just this this time, you know, you, you guys, you and, and uh, the American Life League have been uh, uh, participants for 50 years almost or years of uh, decades and decades of of this uh, of this. So I just wonder what you're thinking, what you're feeling. So I, I think a couple of things. The first is that, you know, having been in this fight, I mean, I'm 53 years old and my mother, you know, has been in this fight since it began. Right. Even prior to it beginning in the late sixties, there was a referendum in Seattle to legal Washington state to legalize abortion. She got involved then. Wow. So then it became on the national stage, what in, in the early 1970s. And I think, you know, when you're involved for something for this long, I mean, growing up as a kid, you know, the, the dinner table conversations were pretty much about this. So, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. this, we really have to be honest about it, right? Nobody wants to be transparent and, and honest. And the truth is, what's really changed? You know, I mean, not a whole lot has changed. And I think the reason it hasn't changed is because we, you know, you mentioned there are Christians, there are people of faith from different denominations, even different faiths. Maybe they be Muslim, maybe they be Jewish, maybe, maybe they be agnostic, but they recognize life. I think it just, what's missing is courage, right? Because you don't, we're going to hope that, that, that maybe Dobbs, you know, um, is, is ruled and the fight goes back to the States. There's two things with that, right? Number one, it could get worse. And I think probably before that, 1A, uh, it's still, children are still going to die. 
um, it doesn't really change anything. And I think putting our hope in the Supreme Court or a president has been fool's gold for 50 years. What have they actually done? They haven't done anything. And I think we as Christians have to open our eyes because you even see within the Catholic faith, I'm a Catholic. I mean, and you see just compromise everywhere from people that have collars and hats and robes, you know, the guys that are supposed to be leading this thing. Right. And they compromise because they don't truly believe. Right. It really doesn't matter to them. Let's be honest about it. It just doesn't matter to them. So, you know, the, the foundation of our faith as Christians is 400 plus years of people pretty much being slaughtered and hunted every day. So, you know, uh, and the Catholic Church in particular is built on, on, on the blood of the martyrs, people that were willing to give everything. So that's the spirit with which we have to approach this. We have to have, you know, the, 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 the faith of a lion, man. We have to be willing to do the difficult things, to have the difficult conversations, to pray without ceasing, and to hold people within the faith, and I guess within the Republican Party, which I guess we could say is pro-life, right? It really right. hasn't done anything. Um, we have to hold them accountable because they don't. And the only one, Ed, we talked about this forever. My father, God rest his soul, who said he died in November, but for, for decades, he, the only way you're ever going to get the attention of some of these people is financial. That's all they care about. Right. That's all they care about. Right. Right. Well, and 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 that's and 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 the proof of that, by the way, you know, not, not to belabor, I want to go back to your assessment, especially uh, of the current moment in terms of this uh, Supreme Court pick. But you know, it, it, Planned Parenthood um, and the non-defunding of Planned Parenthood is largely because it's just so much money. And so you, by the time you're done looking closely, you realize that all kinds of politicians and, and communities at home are supported by, funded by the money that gets transferred to Planned Parenthood. And so even the so-called pro-life Republicans, they just say, oh, well, you know, they're, they're doing good education. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, this is so, but uh, we're, we're, again, we're, we're, I want to go back to your uh, piece and we could spend all day on that topic, uh, sure. but your, your comment and your quote, especially uh, Joe Biden said he's going to nominate a black woman. He did that now. And right. so he's got a black woman. And you put out something and said, you know, let's look at, again, we're talking with uh, Hugh Brown, who's the uh, executive vice president of American Life League. You, you, you said, hey, hold on, let's look at what a, an African-American woman, black woman, what perspective they have when it comes to abortion. Tell me about what you, what you described. Well, uh, the American Life League, again, we, we very much focus on the truth, okay? Right. And so the, the truth of the matter is that Planned Parenthood in particular, um, the abortion industry specifically, they target African-Americans. They target minorities. All right, Planned Parenthood, which I, you have to put, put it on Margaret Sanger, right? Yeah, you can say Planned Parenthood, but, but abortion in large part is legal in this country because of the fruit of her labor. So you have a targeting of African-Americans, of, of minorities, of, of Hispanics, of people of color, by Planned Parenthood, by the abortion industry. If you look at just percentages, the percentage of people in the total population of America based on race, minorities, you know, the, the people use that word because it's a lesser percentage, but the number of children that are slaughtered is significantly higher. And they target them specifically. Jim Sedlak, you know, our director of STOP, who passed in January, God bless him. They had a report that almost 78% of all Planned Parenthood facilities were within walking distance of a, of a black neighborhood or a Hispanic neighborhood. You think that's a coincidence? So the, the person that God may have deigned for this position is probably dead. Yeah, I get it. He nominated someone based on their skin color and their gender. And I guess that's because we can actually look at her picture. If you look at liberals, right, I, we have to look at her picture and say, okay, yeah, actually to our eyes, 
she's a black woman, but we've we've joked here. Well, what if you and I identified as a black woman? Well, it's it's I, allowed. Yeah, it's I, allowed. It's, it's the okay. insanity of the moment. You mentioned the yeah. moment. That's perfect. It's just insane. So so now he selects someone who, and we've been reading about her today. Um, NARAL, you know, the National Action Rights Abortion League, um, is praising her. Everybody who supports abortion on demand, including after a human being is born, supports her. So that can't be good. Um, that she does, she hasn't written or spoken to the topic. But clearly, clearly, if if Joe Biden, you know, the the supposed Catholic who, who supports death on demand, um, nominated her, and she's being praised by essentially the enemy. That's not a good day. I mean, it's yeah. not a good day at all. Uh, again, we're talking with Hugh Brown and uh, the American Life League, I should say, ALL.org, ALL, American Life League.org, a lot of there to go there. Um, the, the, here's a question, Hugh, I wondered about. Um, I was thinking of preparing for you. Uh, one of the problems with the people who have said, you know, only crazy knuckle dragon, mouth breathing Trump supporters are anti-vax. One of the problems is it's it's a lie. You know, one of the largest groups of people who don't, but if you're going to start breaking out groups that don't like and trust the vaccine, were African American men. And there's lots of reasons for that, but that's just the facts. That's the, this is going to and and so another and another question I have is the Democrat Party says. We're pro-abortion and it's our great coalition. And look at how great this is. We're empowering people. We're going to pick a black woman. That's going to be the signal that we're for women. We're for black African-Americans. But I've thought and I've seen more and more African-Americans. They're not naturally pro-abortion. Are you finding, Hugh, over these, you know, uh, I don't know, last maybe decade or so, you know, so many things have turned upside down. More Hispanics voted for Trump than ever. They said they said that they would all hate him. You know, the, the media said they'll hate him because he's tough on the border. It turns out they want somebody in charge. You know, they they, they understand it's got to be law and order. Are African-Americans under, uh, uh, changing on the life position, on the abortion position? Because they get taken for granted by the Democrat Party, which is so rabid now. They don't even leave room for a black pastor of an evangelical church to be a Democrat? That's a fantastic question. So here's the way I look at that. One of the things I also do is I'm the, you know, I'm, I'm in my fifth, I don't know, sixth year heading into being a, a high school football coach uh, in a, at a Catholic school. And we have white families, black families, Hispanic families, Asian families, and none of that matters. But the point is that there's a lot of people that I'm exposed to and talk to every single day and to generalize and say whether it's black folks or white folks, that as a gigantic percentage, this is just what we do because this is what we're told, is insulting, right? Right. The Democratic Party insults the intelligence of minorities, of African Americans in particular, because exactly what you said, they take them for granted, and the the mistake in their undoing, what it's going to be at a point when it gets to it, is that abortion has nothing to do with politics. We've made it political, but you are murdering children, right? Why can't you just flip on a, a somewhere on the internet and actually watch or view the, today's today's great abortion? Because you're killing people. That's why. Because they don't want to see it. So uh, labeling it left and right and all that is just a deception. Republicans are going to fix it. That's a myth. This isn't. This is God's people. You, you need to put affiliation aside. You are. You serve the Lord first. And we can go back and forth on a myriad of topics. But when you talk about killing children. Killing children? I mean, in this, they quote unquote science, right? You want to talk about science? So at the moment of your creation, you've got your own DNA, right? You're a human being, you're growing, and you don't. And I'm 53, I'm still growing, right? You don't stop growing until God willing, the moment you breathe your last, intellectually, spiritually. So it's just a fallacy. It's a deceit. 
And I think that taking God, I think that taking Christians and taking God's people for granted, white and black, brown, yellow, is a mistake. And I think you're absolutely correct that people are waking up. They're tired of being taken for granted. They're tired of being told what to think and what to do and how to vote. I mean, what did Biden say? You know, if you don't vote for me, man, you ain't black. I would have slapped him in the head if I was sitting there. That's just insulting. And that's just what you're dealing with, right? A white man, liberal arrogance makes me want to throw up. I'm so sick and tired of these people. Um, They're liars. They're deceivers. And if if I was trying to have this conversation, not with you, but one of them, they would they'd hang up on me because there's yeah. nothing on their side. That's factual. Nothing. It's yeah. all rhetoric, rhetoric and nonsense. Yeah. Which well said, well said. All right. Um, Hugh, thank you. Thanks for getting out there and saying uh, what you're saying and getting the word out. And I will put up on social media, uh, some of these facts you, uh, that are, that I got from you. And again, it's all.org, all.org, American life league. Uh, we've been talking with Hugh Brown, the executive vice president. Thanks a lot. Hugh. we'll talk again yeah. soon. Thank you. Keep fighting the good fight, my friend. Okay, we'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I just was thinking as I was getting ready for this, you just could call it the Neil Monroe uh, docket. You just go to Breitbart.com and click on Neil Monroe's name or find his name. And, and he's got so many uh, stories. He writes so frequently. It's pretty extraordinary. Uh, but I, I flagged a piece that I really wanted to ask you about, Neil. Neil, Neil Monroe joins us now, uh, an editor and writer at Breitbart.com. Um, and uh, Neil, the piece you wrote on transgenderism, and here's the part of this that I thought was uh, really helpful. You wrote about how the media was silent because I think all of us saw it. It kind of came through that this this dude, the guy that says he's a woman, won the Ivy League championships. Um, there had been some drama a month or two ago with some signatures. Some of his teammates said they supported him, and later said they didn't. I don't know, but but my my thing is nobody really covered it. I I and and I think. It's got to be intentional that they stop covering it because they know how weird it is. Am I, what do you think? That's exactly it. In the end, uh, they just don't have any real defense. So the progressives in the media and in the universities and in the companies have just decided to stop arguing about it and declare the deed is done. It's like they've stolen your car and they're sitting in your car outside your driveway and when you say, that's my car, they ignore you. In effect, they're doing this because, by and large, they control the establishment media and the TV news. And their first effort to get this in, they tried to sneak it in. And by sneaking it in, they were basically lobbying judges quietly, lobbying politicians quietly and government agencies. And they quietly built this hidden empire of support. And then they sort of exploded this. They made a dash under uh, Obama. But it got quickly stopped Uh, once people like us started writing about it. Obama loses the election, Trump comes in, and the stealth effort fails. So Uh, next they're uh, trying... yeah. Yeah, keep going. Sorry, keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Next they tried arguing it. They'd have newspaper articles and they'd say, oh, look, here's a child who claims to be transgender. Let's protect him. Oh, here's a woman who claims to be transgender. Let's protect him or her. But that, they realized that failed. So there's a sort of pro-transgender group out in California, which issued a report in December that said, try as we might. We could not persuade anyone on sports 
to allow men into women's sports competitions. And the report also said, well, we might succeed in other areas of getting people to accept transgenderism in business or civic life, but it's a very difficult job. And so they Hmm. basically recognize they can't do it. So now they're simply going to pretend they have already done it and they're going to pretend that everybody agrees. And so you'll, you'll see lots of news articles that write about the man who won the Jeopardy contest for so long. Yeah. Just, yeah. They'll say, you know, here she is in all her wonder and glory, isn't it marvelous, yada, yada, yada. And they won't discuss the fact that he's a he. It, it, yeah. It's so ridiculous. In that case, there was one um, report from the left they were doing this gushing report over the wonderful woman who won all the women's records on Jeopardy. And they, they were interviewing the guy. And he says, while wearing a dress and pearls, of course, I'm such a girl. Aren't I wonderful? The interviewer asked him, so what's your favorite movie? Remember, he's supposed to be a she. And she, right. she he says, oh, my favorite movie is Master and Commander. Master Commander's <laughs> a movie. No, are you serious? Oh my! Yes. You got to get that clip. We got to put that clip up. That that's the ba- that that's incredible. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, Master Commander <laughs> is a movie about the British warships in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, basically two hundred <laughs> men on a ship, and there's almost no uh, women in the in the movie, and it's all about cannons and guns and sailing. Yeah, it's the least feminine <laughs> movie on the planet. And right. the media expects us to believe this stuff. And it's the same yeah. with Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas is a man. And the entire right. Ivy League insisted that he be allowed to oh. play, to swim against girls. And he gets well, but wait a second. Wait a second. So, so, so I, got, I got it. By the way, Master Commander 2, my, my sons, all, I've been reading that at their school because it's also all about etiquette and about uh, like macho. Like it's all, it's all about uh, um, boys being boys and becoming men. It's, that's accurate. We, gotta get, yeah. we have to get that clip, Neil. We have to. Uh, but all right, we're talking with Neil Monroe. Let me get a couple of details out of the way. Neil Monroe on Twitter at Neil Monroe DC, uh, Breitbart.com. He writes a lot and he's really good. But now, uh, Neil, again, um, I want to ask you two questions, so don't let me slip the second one. The second one's going to be, you were born in Ireland, you've been all over the world. How does the rest of the world look at us when we're doing this? But I don't want to ask you that now. I want to I stick with this. We'll come back to that, but don't let me forget that. Uh, but, but what I want to really ask you is, media right now needs clicks. So they'll do anything for clicks. They'll make stuff up. They'll take pictures of uh, Princess Kate's girlfriend, uh, friend who's a girl, and say she's cheating on uh, that girl's cheating with whatever. Right? Anything for clicks, right? That Justin Bieber's got a yeah. new tattoo, whatever. And you would think there's nothing more like it's click worthy if you show i just retweeted an image of the guy leah thomas and the guy william thomas and it's just to me it's like so weird it's click worthy in this case they're actually acting against their interests because it wouldn't it be every time you write about it don't you get a ton of attention no every time i write oh. it we get a they lot shut of it down on Facebook. we get a lot of hit on facebook and we get a lot of hit on when people visit our website but Twitter shuts me down. I got a couple of hits oh. in response. Facebook doesn't uh, particularly like it. And then all the advocacy groups and the media groups that would want to talk about this don't because the fundamental question is they know it's unpopular. 
And then you have got to ask yourself, so why do the elite guys support it? Okay. Well, there are a couple of things. Right. Okay. One is in general, the elite believes it wants to rule this country and to rule this country, you want to divide this country into as many competing little groups as possible to rule. You first divide. And immigration is a great way of dividing people. It divides us into poor and rich, white and non-white, American and non-American. Great. Then another way to rule us is to break up the basic rules of adulthood, to, to mix, mix and mangle up the ideas of sex. Why not? It call, if you're at the top of society, if you're in the universities or one of the major tech companies, you run Google, why not? It's amusing. It's like, to mess things up. And so in that sense, crudely speaking, the elite has decided we're going to mess up the whole idea of male and female, sex, gender. We're going to get Family, to say I mean, ridiculous yeah. things. We're going to say that sex yeah. is actually gender. We're going to get, get right. to say preposterous things that male and female. And in this sense, what's happening in... The Ivy League is, is a good example, okay? There's all these women, okay, in the Ivy League who, who, who are clever, from clever parents, who likely have going to prestigious places in society. And they are being told by the Ivy League leaders, you cannot enter our society unless you agree this man is a woman. And so it becomes a form of... It's an entry requirement. It's a loyalty test. It's a hazing system where the elite says to all the crowding people around who want to become elites, yeah, maybe you can join us, maybe. But first, you have to say the most ridiculous thing possible, because if you say the most ridiculous thing possible, you'll always do what I want. Now I want you to say, yes, that man is a woman. It becomes a hazing test. And in this sense, it's a deeply political thing. It means Americans more or less have to say we're sticking with science, truth, two and two is four because if we change, if we bend to your agreement, you're merely exer you are exercising your power to change our words, to change your ideas. And this is a basic fundamental fight over who gets to decide reality. I mean, because, you know, if yeah. these, these elites get to say this man is a woman. What do they say next? The earth is flat. Yeah. Right. Heroin <laughs> well, is good uh, for you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Neil, I got about a minute left. Neil Monroe, we're talking to Breitbart.com uh, and at Neil Monroe, D-C-N-E-I-L-M-U-N-R-O. He didn't know E on there. No Monroe like uh, the president Monroe. We'll have to check that out if you trace back. At, and then D.C. Neil, real quick, um, what's the rest of the world think when they see this? Usually America leads and people go, oh, yeah, that. OK, they're being this way and they're so they've got such a strong economy and strong influence. <laughs> Yeah. My guess is they see us as completely chaotic and, and obsessed with the most preposterous things. And so if you're so and the, Putin is arguing this, by the way, he says, we're not going to let America and Europe into Ukraine <laughs> on our border. Because among the most ridiculous right. things these Americans are going to do is they're going to mess up the idea of male and female. So Americans are trying to export transgenderism into Russia. We will fight this. It's a preposterous right. idea, but that's the essence of its success. Its ridiculousness is why it's pushed. If it wasn't ridiculous, well, nobody particularly care. But they push it 
because it is ridiculous. This is an effort by elites, global elites, you name it, whatever, to rule us and then the world by making us think and say the most preposterous things. There you go. It is, um, yeah. It's and it's it's it, again. Some of these things, Neil, they've happened so fast. Uh, how quickly, you know, we find that this is uh, allowed and slash accepted. All right, Neil Monroe. I got to run though. Neil Monroe over at Breitbart.com. Everybody, go check out the Neil Monroe docket. He's writing I, almost every day, sometimes twice a day. Uh, important stuff and lots of subjects. Thanks for the insight, Neil. And uh, we'll have you on again soon. Talk to you later. Bye. All right, we'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. It's always dangerous when people engaged in political dialogue try to redefine key terms to suit their own agenda. This practice was featured prominently in George Orwell's classic novel 1984, where the totalitarian regime of Oceana used an invented language called newspeak, to control the people they oppressed. In America, this commandeering of language becomes especially dangerous when the left tries to redefine the meaning of violence to better support their worldview. This happened recently at Arizona State University, when two leftist students were punished for confronting two other students who were peacefully studying. The leftists were triggered by a sticker on one of the students' computers that said, Police Lives Matter, and the other wearing a t-shirt that said, did not vote for Biden. Also, the studiers, who happened to be white, were studying in what ASU refers to as a multicultural space, whatever that means exactly. To put a long story short, the two leftists, Mastana Karashi and Zara Takola, berated the two studying students for their apparent racism and sexism. The confrontation was so loud that the leftists were charged with interfering with university activities under the Student Code of Conduct. Rather than be punished, the girls were given a warning and asked to write about how they might better engage in civil dialogue in the future. Despite the fact that they weren't even really punished, the girls accused the school of committing an act of violence against them. They even said that the Police Lives Matter sticker was an act of aggression. This twisting of definitions should concern every American who cherishes free speech. After all, if a warning is violence and a sticker is aggression, what reason do we have to believe that someone won't try to silence dissenting opinions? Unless you feel tempted to chalk this up to a few fringe leftist students, you should know that the leftist's message was endorsed by the Arizona State University's director of the School of Social Transformation. If these are the kinds of so-called educators ASU employs... They are getting exactly what they deserve. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. On college campuses and social media, in boardrooms and the public square, conservative voices are being silenced. What happened to free speech or to the First Amendment? At phyllisschlafly.com, we're still listening. So let us hear from you at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for joining us and come back again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Only a minute or so left. And so uh, let me say, I do. I will put up on social media as I see it. I saw a good piece uh, well written uh, on KBJ. Kajani, am I getting it wrong? Kajani, KJB. Kajani Jackson Brown. Kajani Brown Jackson, the woman nominated for the U.S. Supreme Court on her background, um, on her specific decisions. Um, she has not, as far as I can tell, she's been on the bench for about 13 years at the federal district court level and the court of appeals she's not uh, ever had to rule on the hot button issues in a way that would ever reveal what she did i I should have said clearer in my open uh today in the wink that's what another part of the bureaucratic class that becomes judges is they don't say anything on the hot button issues until they're sure they're to the top level that they're going to get so if, if if someone realizes they're not going past the court of appeals, then they'll start saying what they really think and deciding things. But if they hoping to, if they're hoping to advance like she was, they don't say anything. So I'll put some stuff on social media uh, and put that up. We'll get some more look. We'll get a look at it next week. Uh, next week we'll also cover State of the Union on Tuesday night. So there'll be some uh, some interesting things there. We'll see what Joe Biden says. Thank you as always to our great producer Noah Dingley. He's back from his vacations. Great that Noah says next week we're going to talk to Noah next week. And thank you to Joanna uh, for helping our guests. We will be back next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you next week. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.